We want to welcome those who are joining us through our Facebook, uh, church Facebook page. Uh, Sabbath blessings to each one of you. Uh, we're going to get started into our study uh, here in just a moment, but we want to have a, a season of prayer together. And so uh, I invite you to bow your, your heads with me and your hearts, especially your hearts. Um, and uh, let's come before the Lord with thanksgiving. Father in heaven, we thank you so very, very much for this holy Sabbath day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come apart uh, from the world and from our the cares of, of everyday living and uh, that we can come together and spend time in your holy word and with heavenly angels and with each other that we may rest in Christ and rest from the, the battle uh, against uh, sin and temptation and the devil. We pray for the Holy Spirit to be poured out upon us at this time. Uh, we pray that the, the Holy Spirit will give us discernment, uh, cultivate within us a love for the truth as we take a look at this this subject of sin and the, looking at the types of sin that you reveal in your word. Uh, so we may educate our conscience and that the Holy Spirit can help us in our walk and keep our feet, as the psalmist says, from slipping. We pray for those on our prayer list. We thank you for answered prayer. We pray that you will continue to heal. And Father, I pray that you forgive us for our sins. We claim the blood of Jesus to wash them away. And we pray for the help needed uh, that each one of us needs to be an overcomer. Bring glory to thy name. Give me the words to speak, please, Lord. I pray in Jesus' blessed name for he's so worthy. Amen. Amen and amen. Well, friends, there are, um, as we talk about this, this in this series, The Sin Issue, uh, we're kind of transitioning here uh, a little bit from looking at this issue from an individual standpoint uh, to getting into more of uh, groups and... I don't understand why you're doing that. I'm almost completely off my screen here. Right. Um, sorry, friends. And, but we're transitioning a little bit from individual speaking about individual sins to uh, more of sins involved with groups and such. So I want to go back to looking at the types of sin. And also there are some questions, you know, that have arisen during this series concerning the different types of, of sin that the Bible talks about. And there are some errors that are associated with those types. So I, I wanted to spend some time looking at that. Um, these errors mainly deal with sins of ignorance, and, you know, which the church rarely addresses, sad to say, and errors dealing with the unpardonable sin. I want to look at four categories of sin that the Bible addresses uh, with some detail. And if you recall in our study entitled, What is Sin? You know, a, you know, a couple months ago, um, we found that sin is outlined in the three words that the Lord used in giving His name. Remember, we, we went to Exodus 34... And the Lord was talking about his name. And in verse 7 we read that 
that it says that he's keeping mercy for thousands. Let's look at verse 7. Forgiving, what was it that said there? Iniquity and transgression and sin. And that by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. Now the Lord said in verse 7 there, He gave those three things, didn't He? He said, Iniquity and transgression and sin. And as we studied before, Iniquity is a thing done uh, with evil intent. You know that it's wrong, but you don't really care. You're going to do it anyway. And, and you have that intent to do it, regardless of what God has to say about it. Um, yeah, evil is a strong word. Yeah, Transgression, he says there, he said iniquity and transgression. Transgression is, it means to pass over the bounds, to go out of the way. You know, as the psalmist said this morning, we we're talking about, you know, his feet slip. He's, he's passed over the bounds and to go out of the way. And it, it can, that can be done uh, without evil intent. Um, sin, when God says sin there, he signifies uh, in its root idea uh, to miss the mark. Now this is just, we're, we're going over what we had studied before, but it's a refresher here. It means to miss the mark. That is to aim at the right mark, remember? You, you try to do your best to hit that mark, and yet miss it uh, by coming short of it. And, and this is the root idea in the original uh, def uh, definition of sin, and at times it can also be done ignorantly. Now, the four categories I'm going to share with you um, actually do fall within those three definitions. They can uh, fall within those three. Um, and let me give you the four categories here, and then we'll get into them. The first one it, it deals with sins of ignorance. The second one deals with impulsive sins. The third category deals with deliberate sins, and then the fourth deals with the unpardonable sin. And those are the four categories uh, that we're going to look at here together, and I'm going to define these type of sins a little bit more fully so that there's no misunderstandings um, concerning them. And let me say, friends, that having a good understanding of the particular types of sin, I believe, will help clear up any questions and, and it will actually aid each of us in our walk with the Lord and in sharing the truth with others about this sin issue. Incidentally, you can see these types, these same types, these same categories of sin in a corporate body as well, which we're going to study uh, probably next time we get together. We're going to talk about corporate accountability and corporate sin. What does that mean? What does it entail? And we'll take a look at that next time. But you'll, as we do that, uh, friends, you, you will see these same kinds of, uh, these same types of sin in that corporate um, collective body as well. It can happen in the same way. So the the first category is sins of ignorance. Now if you go to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 4 and uh, in the first two verses, we're going to read this here, it speaks about sins of ignorance. 
And here the Lord is speaking to Moses. He says, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a soul shall sin through ignorance against any of the commandments of the Lord, concerning things which ought not to be done, and shall do against any of them, and he goes on and he says uh, what, what kind of offering and stuff, what needs to be done. But we see here that there are such things as sins of ignorance. These are sins that are committed unawares or unknowingly or un unconsciously. Okay? You, you, you have no knowledge of it. Okay? Now, I want you to understand. I don't want you to be confused by this. Sin is still being committed. Okay? But it's being done without the knowledge of it by the one who's committing it. Does that make sense? But there still has to be a sin offering to cover the sin that has been done even in unconscious ignorance. It's still a sin, whether you know about it or not. It's still a sin. Now, what's interesting here, especially here in Deuteronomy, the, uh, the word sin and sin offering, when you read through a lot of times in Deuteronomy, you read through in, in Leviticus especially, the word sin and sin offering are both translated from the same Hebrew root word. Now, the reason I bring that up is because that implies that there's a close relationship between the two, between sin and sin offering. And, and in fact, when, when the Hebrew word used there for sin, it implied the need of an offering for sin. That's how closely tied together. So the bringing of a sin offering implied that sin had been committed, right? And so, in bringing a sin offering to the sanctuary, a man was literally bringing the sin represented by that offering and for which it was to make an atonement for that sin. I hope I'm making sense here. So God does wink at sins done in ignorance, but you see, it still requires a sin offering. The thing is that God does not leave us in ignorance concerning sin. Praise the Lord. Because God will eventually reveal the sin to us. And then we have a decision to make. Right? It's like what Jesus said in John 9, 41. He said to them, If ye were blind, you should have no sin. But now you say, We see, therefore your sin remaineth. See? If they were blind to the sin, God was not going to necessarily hold them responsible or have the consequences laid directly upon them. They were, they didn't know about it. But because they said they see and they understand sin, well, your sin remains. Now you've got to do something about it, consciously, see. God judges men on the basis, and this is what is so wonderful about our God. God judges men on the basis of the light they have received or might have received had they put forth the effort. And I'm going to get more into that in just a moment. Let's go to category two. I'm, I'm kind of defining these and then we'll get into, into them a little bit more in depth. Uh, category two was impulsive sins. Now these are spontaneous sins without any kind of forethought. You know, you didn't plan on it. It happened it is a sin, 
You didn't necessarily mean it to happen, but it did. It was spontaneous. It was impulsive. And so I'll get more into that, uh, like I said. Category three is deliberate sins. These are willful sins, known sins, intentional sins, presumptuous sins. And then category four was the impardonable sin. Now this is the sin against the Holy Spirit. Uh, or blasphemy against the Holy Ghost, which is unforgivable, or could be too severe to be pardoned. And as a result, uh, salvation becomes absolutely impossible. And, and it becomes impossible not because God would have it so, uh, but because the choices of the, the individual have made it so. And I would say that that individual really probably doesn't care when it gets to that point. Now, those are the categories... And, and so let's begin with uh, the category one, the sins of ignorance. Let's take a closer look at that. Now, I will say that these are the types uh, of sins that are the least offensive to God. Not that they do not offend God, but of all the others, they are the least offensive uh, um, uh, to God uh, since they're committed unknowingly. And I don't hesitate to say that all of us have committed this type of sin and might possibly even be doing so um, even now without knowing it. That's why it's a sin of ignorance, right? And, of course, because we do that because none of us know everything we need to know about our character yet. I mean, do we? Do you know everything about your character yet? I will say that I don't. And so I still trust God to show these things to me as I walk with Him. Now, Considering that, we, we're told by the, the prophet that there are enochs in every generation, meaning there are those who have been uh, reached a point in their walk with God that they have completely been sanctified. They live a life without choosing sin. They would rather die than sin, like the life of Enoch. See, Enoch did this when he was here. The Bible says that he walked with God for 300 years, and then God took him to heaven without him having to see death. Uh, but uh, before Jesus can come and return the second time, uh, he needs to have a generation of Enochs, if you allow me to, to say that and compare that generation to Enoch. He has to have a generation of people to be like Enoch, to be like Christ before he will return. You see, because we are told that Jesus is waiting for his character to be perfectly reproduced in his people, right? Before he will return. And so uh, we look around today. We see that we're still here. We, can, we, we know that there are some prophetical things that still need to be played out. And so we have some character work that needs done, don't we, beloved? And, and so uh, we know this because he hasn't returned yet. And so, uh, yeah, we, we have a work to do where there isn't quite a generation put together of Enix yet. So we have sins. Um, I can get my pointer here. We have sins we are committing in ignorance. And the Holy Spirit will reveal them. That's part of his job. He reveals these sins to us when it's the right time for us that we then can make a decision and it will strengthen our faith. You know, we make the right decision. Now, in Numbers chapter 15, it speaks about sins of ignorance. And we're going to go there in just a minute. We're going to take a look at that. 
But I want to point out that even here, when we talk about sins of ignorance, and I better make this clarification, um, even with sins of ignorance, there's two categories. Because a sin of ignorance can be one of no fault of your own, you know, you're living up to all the light you know. You, there are things in your walk that God has yet to reveal to you that, that you need to change and stuff. And, and so you, you really truly are unwillfully, let's put it that way, unwillfully ignorant of it. Or a sin of ignorance can be self-inflicted. Now what do I mean by that? What do you think I mean by that? Very good. Yeah, exactly right. If you've never had the opportunity, yeah, what I don't know won't hurt me. See, if you never had the opportunity to know that a particular sin is a sin, then God doesn't hold you responsible for it. You're truly ignorant of it. Um, Paul says in Romans four fifteen, he says, "For where no law is, there is no transgression." You, you know, let's say you have never had the opportunity. To know that the seventh day is the true Sabbath instead of Sunday. When you look at at uh, the law, you see um, that you're still transgressing, right? You still are committing a sin by not keeping the seventh day holy, but you're doing it ignorantly through no fault of your own. You haven't had the opportunity to learn that. So, you know, God winks at this kind of a transgression. The sacrifice of now, what does that mean? It means the sacrifice of Jesus covers these trespasses of ignorance, but he still had to die to offer that sacrifice, right? Even though you were ignorant of it. Now, if you've had the opportunity, and like Deb said, what, well, what I don't know won't hurt me, but you've had the opportunity to uh, educate yourself and you have neglected to do that, then that's an entirely different matter, you see. It's still a sin of ignorance, but it could have been known to be sin if the Word of God had been studied more diligently. And so there is some personal responsibility with being neglectful or willfully ignorant. So even under sins of ignorance, there's like two categories. You know, many of us think that we can be, and I run into this, it, it's surprises me really um, the people many people think that they can be willfully ignorant and the Lord will wink at those trespasses but that's not true I've had people tell me not to share things with them uh, because then they would have to stop doing such and such or or maybe they'll have to start doing such and such and most most of the time it usually has to do with topics of reform you know, which is, seems to be the hardest thing for us as human beings. We don't like to change, do we? You know, health reform, dress reform, music, recreate, whatever it may be. We just, you know, we kind of like our old habits and we want to hang in there. See? So, yeah, don't let me have that information because then i got to make a choice. Then I'm held accountable. Well, if you put away that opportunity to know, God still holds you accountable. And so, friends, that is willful. That's what's called willful ignorance. And a person that thinks that way will move very quickly uh, through the next couple categories. And if, they, if something doesn't happen to change, 
they will finally end up with the fourth category of the unpardonable sin. Um, if they don't do something about it when they have the opportunity to do, to do so. And so they will have to repent and, and confess and educate themselves or they'll be lost if they continue on that kind of, of a path of willful ignorance. Let me share this with you. This is from a book called Maranatha, page 218. Those who indulge appetite and passion and close their eyes to the light for fear they will see sinful indulgences which they are unwilling to forsake are guilty before God. So we can, we can say, oh, well, Lord, I didn't know that. And the Lord will say, you had the opportunity, a lot of opportunities to know that. Um, let's look at another one. Last Day Events, uh, page 218. Those who have an opportunity to hear the truth and yet take no pains to hear or understand it, thinking that if they do not hear, they will not be accountable, will be judged guilty before God the same as if they had heard and rejected. There will be no excuse for those who choose to go in error when they might understand what is truth. In his sufferings and death, Jesus has made atonement for all sins of ignorance. Did you hear that, friends? We can hang on to that. In his sufferings and death, she says, Jesus has made atonement for all sins of ignorance, but there is no provision made for willful blindness. I'll get more into detail about the reason why here in a few moments. But she says, We shall not be held accountable for the light that has not reached our perception, but for that which we have resisted and refused. So, by staying ignorant when we have an opportunity, we are actually resisting light, you see, friends. And this is true in every area of our lives. We cannot neglect learning or, or ignore knowledge we could have gleaned from study and think we're in good standing with God. We just can't do that. It doesn't work that way. And we better get that straight right now while there's time to learn and to be forgiven and changed. When probation closes, it's too late then. Now the quote said, Jesus has made atonement for all sins of ignorance, but there is no provision made for willful blindness. And, uh, well, like I said, I'll get into that in a minute. But let's, uh, let's go, let's get to Numbers 15. Before I go there, let's, you know, about talking about that. Let's get to Numbers 15. Let's look more at sins of ignorance. Numbers 15 and verse 22. Numbers 15, verse 22. And if ye have erred and not observed all these commandments which the Lord hath spoken unto Moses, even all that the Lord hath commanded you by the hand of Moses, from the day that the Lord commanded Moses and henceforward among your generations, then it shall be, if aught be committed by ignorance without the knowledge of the congregation. Now, that is, it wasn't planned, or it was done without uh, deliberate intent on the part of the transgressor. Um, the Hebrew there denotes transgressions committed unwittingly without the knowledge of anyone else. That is, it was a personal sin, not generally known. So he says, Then it shall be, if aught be committed by ignorance, without the knowledge 
of the congregation, that all the congregation shall offer one young bullock for a burnt offering, for a sweet savor unto the Lord, with his meat offering, his drink offering, according to the manner, and one kid of the goats for sin offering. And the priests shall make an atonement for all the congregation of the children of Israel, and it shall be forgiven them, for it is ignorance. And they shall bring their offering, a sacrifice made by fire unto the Lord, and their sin offering before the Lord for their ignorance. And it shall be forgiven all the congregation of the children of Israel, and the stranger that sojourneth among them, seeing all the people were in ignorance. You see, this includes everyone. It's not just the children of Israel, right? So he's saying, even the stranger that's traveling with them, Verse 27, And if any soul sin through ignorance, then he shall bring a she-goat of the first year for a sin offering. And the priest shall make an atonement for the soul that sinneth ignorantly, when he sinneth by ignorance before the Lord, to make an atonement for him, and it shall be forgiven him. Ye shall have one law for him that sinneth through ignorance, both for him that is born among the children of Israel, and for the stranger that sojourneth among them. This verse was to show, friends, and it shows us how fair and just God is to all people. He wasn't a respecter of persons. He wasn't just for Israel only, you see. God winks at all sins of willful, willful ignorance. Unwillful. Let me get it straight here. God winks at all sins of unwillful ignorance. So those outside the faith, when they see that, what do they think? they see how fair and just God is. And that may just, in fact, draw them closer to know something about God. And so they may even be drawn so close that they learn about the true God and they, they are converted. They become a proselyte. They become an Israelite. And they begin to follow the true God, you see. Now, the next couple of verses speak of presumptuous sin. But I wanted to, to show you there, Numbers 15 that there were offerings that still had to be made, even though these were sins that were done in ignorance, because sin had still been committed, see, even though you were ignorant to it. Verses 30 and 31, again, like I said, they talk about presumptuous sin, which is category 3, and what the consequences were for that type of sin. Look at verses 30 and 31. But the soul that doeth aught presumptuously whether he be born in the land or a stranger, again, doesn't matter who it is, the same repro reproacheth the Lord, and that soul shall be cut off from among his people, because he hath despised the word of the Lord, and hath broken his commandment, that soul shall utterly be cut off, his iniquity shall be upon him. Now the Hebrew word uh, for presumptuously, literally means with a high hand. Have you ever heard that expression before? Oh, he's doing that with a high hand. It expresses intent. It, it means it's been done willfully. And then the next few verses after this, as you go on reading, and I'm not going to go there, but it, you, know, you go on reading and it talks about the man, remember, that went out and he, he was picking up sticks on the Sabbath day. You know, he wanted to build a fire, do some cooking and whatever else he wanted to do, and it goes on and explains how he broke the commandment and he was stoned to death for his presumptuous sin. Now, let me ask you a question. 
we look at those two verses there, what do you think is meant by the phrase to be cut off from among his people? You think it's self-explanatory? I want you to I want you to consider, I mean, think about that, but consider that the sacrificial system provided no atonement uh, for deliberate opposition to the will and the commandments of God. There's no atonement for that, see? So to be cut off, it was a serious matter. And it is a very serious matter. Being cut off sometimes meant death, as in the case with this man, uh, picking up sticks on the Sabbath day. Uh, But it didn't always mean death. Sometimes it meant being separated, uh, banished, or or exiled from the congregation. Today we would say, well, they got kicked out of church, you know, or disfellowshipped. But sometimes it did indeed mean death. It just depended on the severity of the sin, the, the knowledge of the one who committed the sin and the circumstances involved. Uh, it also you know, uh, what played a part as well was a person standing and influence in the congregation. Uh, those, All those things play into uh, this cutting off that played into the consequences, you see. There are many reasons, or were many reasons, to be cut off from among the, the people during Old Testament times, way more than we have you know, time to go into in this study. I've got a lot to share. I need to get moving. But but they all mean either death or banishment from the assembly so others would not be influenced or contaminated. Sometimes being cut off meant there was to be no contact with an individual. They were excluded from the congregation or they were censured, um, you know, in order to save the rest from becoming infected, either by a literal disease uh, like leprosy or a spiritual disease, the spiritual disease of sin. Right, quarantined, exactly. And so being cut off meant being removed from those who have not yet been defiled. And also as an example of the consequences, you see, of disobedience to the commands of God. You know, willful sins, willful ignorant sins, presumptuous sins. Now, once a person has been enlightened... Uh, to their sin of ignorance, which is what the Holy Spirit does, right? That's part of his job. He educates our conscience to the law of God. Then we will be held accountable for that sin if we choose to do it again. God can no longer wink at it, you see, as there is no longer an atonement made for it as we've chosen to do it with the knowledge of its consequences. We then must repent, confess, and allow the Holy Spirit again to grow in our heart, to be converted. Now, let's talk about category two, impulsive sins. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, impulsive sins are they're spontaneous sins, uh, sins without forethought, or sins that are unintentional, if I can put it that way. Um, the Apostle Peter, he's a good example of someone who committed impulsive sins. He didn't plan to do wrong. It just happened, usually, they usually happened from habit. Okay? Either at a weak moment, or because we we spoke or acted before we thought things through. Impulsive sins are not premeditated. See? They're kind of like 
they're kind of like saying a bad word, let's say, when you hit your thumb with a hammer or you bang your head on something, you know. The words just roll out of your mouth and you wonder, well, where did that come from? Okay? You thought you were over saying those kinds of things, that you had victory over those things or doing that kind of thing, but it happens and you're immediately, what, ashamed of yourself. You apologize to the Lord. You apologize to anyone else that may have heard you, you know. Uh, but let me say this so you, you don't get the wrong idea. Even impulsive sins can and must be overcome. You know, impulsive sins, they can be overcome. But in order to do so, we need to be born again every day. We need to partake of the divine nature every day. You know, just as Peter did. Peter gained the victory over this type of sin. And so that gives us hope that we can too, right? And and again, we must if we want to meet Jesus at the second coming. Now let's turn to Galatians 6. And we'll read about an impulsive sin here. Galatians 6 and verse 1. Paul here, he says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, that's an impulsive sin, okay? If a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. So, Paul here, he, he refers to the fact that a Christian may, in a moment of weakness, be taken off his guard. He's not an obstinate hypocrite, okay? His purpose was to walk in the Spirit, but he was tripped up by temptation. His intentions had been good. But just like Paul, you read Romans chapter 7, he has discovered to his dismay that the flesh is weak. Okay? And this has happened to every one of us. Okay, friends? So don't be discouraged. But have hope, you see, because Jesus will forgive you and help strengthen you against this happening repeatedly. Again, even these kinds of things can be due to habits. And our habits need to be, be changed to right habits. Let me read this to you. It's from the book Gospel Workers, pages 397-398. And she's speaking about this type of sin here in Galatians 6. She says, here's a special direction to deal tenderly with those overtaken in a fault. This word overtaken must have its full significance. It describes something different from deliberate sin. It applies to one who is led into sin unawares through want of watchfulness and prayer, not discerning the temptation of Satan, and so falling into his snare. There is a difference to be made in the case of one who deliberately enters into temptation, who marks out an evil course, covering his sins skillfully that he may not be detected. More decisive measures are needed to check the premeditated sin. That means there's hope for even this kind of sin, friends. But uh, I'll get to that. But the apostle directs the treatment to be given to those who are overtaken or surprised, overcome by temptation. Ye which are spiritual, you have... You who have a connection with God, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Do not crush all hope 
and courage out of the soul. But restore him in meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Faithful reproofs will be needed, and kindly counsel and supplications to God to bring him to see his sin and danger. The original word translated restore means to set in joint as a dislocated bone. That's interesting, isn't it? Efforts should be made to bring him to himself by convincing him of his sin and error that he may not, like a limb, hopelessly diseased, be severed from the body. He is to be loved because Christ loved us in our weakness and errors. There should be no triumphing in a brother's fall, but in meekness, in the fear of God, in love for his soul, we should seek to save him from, from ruin. And so those... Um, this is talking about impulsive sins. See, they are sins, you know, and uh, we still need to uh, confess, repent and confess and, and uh, have forgiveness and, and go on and God will forgive us for that. Um, and she says, it's not the same as a deliberate sin with intent, see. And this is what I'm trying to teach here. I'm trying to show you the Bible says there are differences. And it helps us to understand. Because sometimes we'll do something like that and then the devil uses it to beat us up. And he will beat us up and damage our faith and think that God has condemned us. That we did it intentionally when we never did it intentionally. And so this shows how fair God is to us. And praise his name for that. And so that's what inspiration says about impulsive sins. But what about category three? Deliberate sin. What about willful sin, known sin, intentional sin, high-handed sin? Remember, it means high-handed. And sin that has been knowingly practiced maybe for a period of time. Is there any hope for a person like that? A couple of different times over the years, I've heard it said that deliberate sin or or presumptuous sin cannot be forgiven. That only sins of ignorance and impulsive sins can be forgiven. And if you knowingly sin after you've come to Christ and accepted Him as your Savior, well, there's no hope for you. It's astounding how many times I hear that. But this thought is derived, friends, from a misunderstanding concerning righteousness by faith. But suppose it were true. Then that would mean that every deliberate sin would be the unpardonable sin. And I'll tell you that, that that's not biblical. You can't find that taught in the Bible. There are, however, some verses in the Bible that make it sound like deliberate sin is unforgivable. It's sort of like the man, like we looked at before a little bit, that I mentioned, the man who picked up sticks on the Sabbath day. I mean, he sinned deliberately, didn't he? And he paid the ultimate price for doing so. Right, exactly. What about Uzzah? Remember him? He's the one who touched the ark, you know, while it was on the ox cart. And he was struck down for doing that. You know, so I think a surface reading of these examples may cause some confusion. But there are other verses you see in God's word that contradict the idea that deliberate sin is unforgivable. And I hope by the time we're done, we'll get a balanced picture about that. Uh, so, But probably two of the most often used texts in the Bible that are used to prove that deliberate sins are unforgivable 
are both in Hebrews. Uh, chapter, one's in chapter 6, one in chapter 10. So let's look at those. Let's begin with Hebrews 10. And I, it's surprising how often I run into this, really. Um, Hebrews 10, verses 26 and 27. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. Now, the word sin in this verse is what's called an active present participle in the Greek. And active present participles, they're actually formed by adding ing to the ending, okay? <laughs> And so it would be better translated this way. If we go on sinning or persist in willful sin after that we have received a knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for judgment, fire indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. So I want to assure you that this is not referring to acts of sin committed in the full knowledge of their their heinous character, but to the attitude of mind that prevails when a person deliberately renounces Christ, refuses salvation, and rejects the Holy Spirit. And this is deliberate, persistent, defiant sin. It's also referred to in times as iniquity. It's open rebellion against God. You've walked with God so far, and you've come to a point where, nope, and you completely turn your back on the Christian walk. And friends, we're going to see a lot of that before Jesus returns. Now, the law of Moses prescribed death, not a sacrifice for confirmed and stubborn rebellion. We see this in cases like Nadab and Abihu, remember? Or Korah, Dathan, and Abiram and the 250 uh, men associated with them, there was a death decree put upon them. You know, and, and I'll tell you, for persons like that, sacrifices would have been unacceptable to the Lord because sacrifices were of value only to the extent that they represented repentant hearts. And these men were not repented. They were openly rebelling. They had committed the unpardonable sin against the Holy Spirit. And the unpardonable sin is the result of deliberately continuing to sin or committing the same sin repeatedly until the Holy Spirit can no longer convict you of sin. And that doesn't happen, I can't say black and white, but it usually doesn't happen just with one sin, be it ignorantly, impulsively, or deliberately. And that's only due to the mercy and grace of God. Praise His holy name. John 3.17 says, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. So no matter what kind of sin you've been guilty of, you'll be forgiven if you come to Jesus in repentance, confession, and are converted. Period. That's the promise of God, friends. That's the good news. That's the gospel. Right? Now, there are several examples of people in the Bible who sinned deliberately and still found forgiveness. 
Mary Magdalene, for example. Um, the prodigal son. That's a very good example. What about King David? You know, in Psalm 51, verse 12, David prayed that God would restore unto him the joy of thy salvation, and you can't restore something you've never had, friends. Okay? And so if David could be forgiven for the terrible sin he committed after he had come to a knowledge of the truth, surely God can forgive us as well. Amen? Mary, she fell time after time, and she was cleansed and forgiven each time, and eventually she learned to sit at the feet of Jesus, even when Jesus wasn't around. And that's what we all need to learn if we find ourselves in a, you know, a, a like situation with sin. Now, the other text that I want to read that, uh, that's supposed to prove that deliberate sin is unforgivable is in Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 to 6. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come if they shall fall away, that's key there, to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. This is talking about the fate of those who fall away from God. And the question at issue is the possibility of restoring such as have had a deep Christian experience but have fallen away. They have apostatized. Can they be restored to Christian fellowship and again receive mercy? Well, yes, they can. But I want to point out to you that the apostasy that's spoken of here in this verse is speaking about the commission of the unpardonable sin. Now, up until a person, group, church, nation, you know, corporate, that we'll get into in our next study, up until they have committed the unpardonable sin, they can be wooed back uh, to repentance by the Holy Spirit. In fact, God doesn't give up on us, see? until we are completely grieve, we grieve him completely away. And friends, this is so important to understand uh, because there are many who errantly believe that falling away or apostasy always means probation is closed upon a person, a group, a church, or a nation. And that is untrue. That is untrue. Beloved, the three angels' messages, they are separating messages uh, um, a call to call God's people, you see, to remove themselves from apostasy and the unclean thing, but not because probation has closed upon the fallen or apostatized, but because staying in a fallen church, for example, will not lead you to heaven. It actually is going to possibly lead you to the plagues unless that organization, that group, that, you know, they repent. And I'll tell you that there are many who still touch the unclean thing that have come that have come out of a fallen church strictly because they believe probation is closed on it. So they come out but continue, you see, to imbibe their own false beliefs and sins, thinking they're obedient to God's call to separate from apostasy. And uh, that's a whole other study I uh, you know and get into 
at some time. But the apostasy that is spoken of here in Hebrews 6 is the only form of apostasy that is hopeless. For only those guilty of continual deliberate sin cannot be re renewed to repentance. And uh, this sin manifests itself in um, continued resistance to the call of God and the wooing of the Holy Spirit. It consists in a hardening of the heart till there's no longer any response to the voice of God. Hence, a person who's sinned against the Spirit, I mean, they have no remorse, no feeling of sorrow for sin, no desire to turn from it. But let me tell you, friends, if someone in such a condition or close to that, they have a sincere desire to do right, well, you can have some confidence to believe that there is still hope for them. Because that means the Holy Spirit is still striving to save them. Something still inside them is being reached, you see. The problem with deliberate sin is that these are the kind of sins that do lead to the unpardonable sin and can very quickly. And no one knows at what point, you know, uh, God will give them up to their own evil uh, course if they go on sinning when they know better. Uh, we don't know for anyone. But if we keep on committing the same sin, the time will come when God will have to say to us, as he said to ancient Israel there in Hosea 4.17, Ephraim is joined to his idols, let him alone. And you don't want those words to be pronounced over you. I don't. I don't want them pronounced over you. I don't want them pronounced over me. That's one reason why we're talking about the sin issue. We're living during the time, friends, uh, of the closing scenes of the investigative judgment. If there was ever a time to be prepared for what's coming, I'll tell you it's today. Paul said in Hebrews 3.15, Today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. The reason is, that will lead to the unpardonable sin. Don't harden your heart. But you know the choice is ours. And the difference will come, uh, become apparent as the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come, which is His, his office, His duty that God has asked Him to do. Romans 6 and verse 23 says, The wages of sin is death. Now, if we didn't read any further, it would seem that we're all doomed, wouldn't it? The wages of sin is death. But it, it goes on. It goes on. It says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So as we deal with people, and we think about ourselves as well, but when we deal with people, let's not forget the entire scripture here in Romans 6.23 and just keep hammering the death sentence. Because that alone is not going to send them to Jesus, especially motivate them from a heart of love. You know, Deliberate sin is the most dangerous kind of sin there is. And by continuing in it, you're gambling with your eternal life and becoming weaker to resist temptation with each repetition. And it will never be easier than it is right now to make an about face, friends. And, and I have to consider, I think of, you know, in my own walk, I think of this, this topic. Why, if we truly love Jesus, why would we want to purposely hurt him by doing something he's asked us not to do? Now, I know it's a battle. 
But we need to consider that. That's part of considering the life of Jesus, especially the closing scenes of his life here. We see what sins caused. Why would one want to deliberately sin against the one who sacrificed his life that we might enjoy the things that God has prepared for those who love him? Man, we need to fall in love with Jesus, don't we, friends? What a difference that will make. Most of the time, I'll tell you this, that I've seen and by experience, most of the time if we can't seem to stop committing deliberate sin, it's because our devotional life has been suffering. And so I want to give you a secret, just real quick here, on beating deliberate sin. Now we talked about overcoming sin before, didn't we? But here's the secret. Get back into the Word of God and pray like you've never prayed before and you'll find the strength you need. God will supply it, friends, to be an overcomer. If other things are more important to us than spending time with God, then we will become guilty of deliberate sin sooner or later, I'll tell you that. Probably sooner. There's no substitute for personal Bible study, personal prayer, personal meditation. And just because you may be busy doing good things for God is no substitute either. I've learned this. Let me share this with you. The Desire of Ages, page 362. As activity increases and men become successful in doing any work for God, there is danger of trusting to human plans and methods. There is a tendency. Isn't this interesting? Listen to this. There is a tendency to pray less and to have less faith. Isn't that remarkable? You're doing a work for God, and then there's a tendency, because you're doing that, to pray less and have less faith. She says, like the disciples, we are in danger of losing sight of our dependence on God and seeking to make a savior of our activity. Well, I do a work for God, so I don't need to do any of that stuff. There's the danger there, isn't it? We need to look constantly to Jesus, she says, realizing that it is his power which does the work. While we are to labor earnestly for the salvation of the lost, we must also take time for meditation, for prayer, for the study of the Word of God. Only the work accomplished with much prayer and sanctified by the merit of Christ will in the end prove to have been efficient for good. So we may think, oh yeah, we're doing a work for God. There's a tendency, she says, to pray less and have less faith. So we need to always be on guard, right? Now, obviously, God doesn't want us to sin deliberately, but if we do, there's a way of escape from its vicious cycle before it becomes the unpardonable sin. 2 Peter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The any and all spoken of here means just what it says. It means just what it says. The only ones that can't be brought to repentance, beloved, are those that have committed the sin against the Holy Ghost. And I'll tell you again, they usually don't care by then. In Matthew 12, verse 31, Jesus said, All manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. So, every type of sin can be forgiven, even deliberate sin. But the sin against the Holy Spirit cannot be forgiven. Why? Why is that? 
Because when the conscience becomes seared by repeated action, repeated sin, it will feel no need for repentance. So the Holy Spirit can no longer convict a person like that. 1 Timothy 4.2 says a person's conscience can become seared as with a hot iron, it says. The, the, the word seared means to render unsensitive. And, and the only way that can happen is to sin repeatedly. It's kind of like scar tissue that uh, you can't feel anymore. Any of you have scars? You, right? Right. You get scar tissue, and you, the sensitivity of it that, that you used to have there isn't there anymore. It, and so your conscience gets uh, uh, seared with this scar tissue, and so it no longer is aware that the Holy Spirit's touching them. They can't feel it. And if they can't feel it, there's no way to bring conviction you know, of sin to their heart. And thus it's impossible for forgiveness to take place. They are, you know, grieving the Spirit away. That's not an arbitrary thing on God's part. Okay, don't misunderstand that. But entirely our own doing, which is caused by violating our Bible-educated conscience. Let me share this with you. It's from The Faith I Live By, page 58. No one need look upon the sin against the Holy Ghost as something mysterious and indefinable. The sin against the Holy Ghost is the sin of persistent refusal to respond to the invitation to repent. When Jesus said, The blasphemy against the Holy, the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. What did he mean by the word uh, blasphemy? Blasphemy is defined as evil speaking against God or taking, trying to take the place of God. Um, and there are several ways that that can be done. But when it's done to the third person of the Godhead, it becomes so serious that the results become permanent. Let me read something uh, from Testimonies for the Church, Volume 5, to you. And I want you, please, friends, to listen carefully especially those who have gotten caught up in that error that the Holy Spirit's not a divine being, uh, but just the essence of the Father and the essence of Jesus. I want you to listen to this. Testimonies for the Church, Volume 5, page 634. What constitutes the sin against the Holy Ghost? It is willfully attributing to Satan the work of the Holy Spirit. For example... Suppose that one is a witness of the special work of the Spirit of God. He has convincing evidence that the work is in harmony with the Scriptures, and the Spirit witnesses with his Spirit that it is of God. Afterward, however, he falls under temptation. Pride, self-sufficiency, or some other evil trait controls him, and rejecting all the evidence of its divine character, he declares that that which he had before acknowledged to be the power of the Holy Spirit was the power of Satan. It is through the medium of his spirit that God works upon the human heart. And when men willfully reject the spirit and declare it to be from Satan, they cut off the channel by which God can communicate with them. By denying the evidence which God has been pleased to give them, they shut out the light which has been shining in their hearts, and as a result, they are left in darkness. Thus the words of Christ are verified. 
If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? Matthew 6.23 For a time, persons who have committed this sin may appear to be children of God. But when circumstances arise to develop character and show what manner of spirit they are of, it will be found that they are on the enemy's ground, standing under his black banner. Now, just to be clear, I'm not saying that those who believe the error, that the Holy Spirit's not a member of the Godhead, you know, the heavenly trio, have committed the unpardonable sin. I'm not saying that. That's God's business, friends. But I can tell you one thing. If they continue on in this vein, they will end up committing the sin against the Holy Ghost if they, aren't, uh, if they haven't already uh, done so. But let me tell you, it's outside our sphere to say who and who has not committed, committed the unpardonable sin. That's not for any of us to declare. And, and, and that is what Jesus meant by saying not to judge. Remember, we cannot judge the motives of a person or their true standing with God, so let's not ever go there. But we can judge actions. Okay, We can warn people to stop sinning and tell them of the results if they don't. We can discern and share when they are attributing to Satan the works of God and vice versa. Those are things we can do. And so, we've looked at four categories of sin. Sins of ignorance, impulsive sins, deliberate sins, and the unpardonable sin. And I hope that there's been some, some enlightenment, some uh, clarifications. Confusion has been... Uh, brushed aside, uh, you know, and, and I'll tell you, remember what Jesus said in John 9, 41? If ye were blind, you should have no sin, but now you say we see, therefore your sin remaineth. You know, God is going to reveal uh, sins that we commit to us because He wants us to be saved. He's in the business of saving souls. That's His purpose. Jesus died on the cross to save us. And so part of that is developing within us a character that he can trust to live in heaven for all eternity, to live on the new earth for all eternity and have no fears of sin arising ever again. And so this is how God deals with the sin issue, you see. And so I'll ask you, friends, take a good look at yourself in the mirror of life and be honest about your walk and your course and about yourself. That's the hardest thing, I think, for any human being to do is to be honest about themselves. I speak from experience. But we've got to do it. And ask the Lord to reveal your sins to you, and He will. He will. Go to the cross, and there Jesus Friends, He'll receive you. He'll forgive you. He'll give you the power to obey so that your sins no longer remaineth. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you again so very, very much for uh, your holy word. Uh, there is truth from page to page for us to learn and it uncovers the darkness that may be uh, within us, either ignorantly uh, or willfully. And so, friend, uh, uh, so we ask that you will 
uh, reveal to us uh, those things that need to be taken care of in our walk. We thank you so much that you love us that much, that you not only died for our sins, but you want us to overcome. And so, Father, I pray that you be with each and every person as they take an honest look at themselves. Encourage them. Give them the strength to bring glory to thy name in the decisions that they make, that we may bring glory to thy name. Continue to be with us on this Holy Sabbath day and bless us, not because we're worthy, because Jesus is. And we ask these favors in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to thank those who have joined us through Facebook. And uh, I hope that you will study these things out. And join us the next time we get together. We'll be here uh, next Sabbath day, same time. And uh, we'll continue this look at the sin issue. Uh, and so, uh, thanks for joining us. God bless you until we see you again. Take care.